Uh, we're going to read from chap- uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 1 to 10. Hear now the word of the Lord. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a, tax co- he was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran out ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And we just, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when, he, when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Would you join me as we continue to worship, as we pray? Lord Jesus, we, we love you. We thank you. We're forever, daily, just amazed by your, your grace that are new every morning. And God, we come together, Lord. We gather together to worship you and sing to you praises, and for you are indeed worthy. And we come to hear your word read and preached today, so that scattered we may bear fruit for your glory. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock, our redeemer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So the first time I shared my personal testimony of how I came to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior was um, either my probably fall retreat of freshman year in college back in 1993. To be honest, there was a lot of pain in my life. At the age of 10, my father had retired from almost 30 years of ministry uh, uh, in college campus in Korea, and my family immigrated to England, uh, where I didn't speak a lick of English and didn't know anything or anyone. Maybe at best, I I knew a couple of words. I was trying to grieve over the loss of my, um, everything that was dear, my home, my friends, um, everything that was familiar. And even as I was trying to grieve through the loss, I began to experience kind of the, the sinfulness, the brokenness of the world that we were living in. Being one of the few East Asian students um, in school or in town, I experienced a lot of racism. And um, those kids, they weren't, they weren't holding back those words or their fists, literally. Um, there was one particular incident when I was attending um, this school called St. Mark's Secondary School in, uh, when we were living in New Harlow, excuse me, Old Harlow, England. And uh, as a group of four kids, they would always gang up on me. Um, Adam, Giuseppe, uh, Peter, Justin. They'll say nasty things, they'll push me around, uh, hit me, pull me. Um, and one day, as we were waiting for our music class to start, uh, we're just waiting. I was standing, and those guys, they, they wanted to have some fun with me again. And two of them began approaching me um, simultaneously. And um, they 
pushed both of my shoulders at the same time. And like anyone would, to try to gain your balance, I took a step back. What I didn't know was one of those guys was actually kneeling behind me, and then I tripped. I'm not quite sure what they were anticipating. I think they didn't expect any kind of retaliation or response, because I've been holding back. But that day, I couldn't take it anymore, and um, I just threw a fit. I'm not quite sure exactly what happened. I just spazzed out, and I just screamed, and after that, the only thing I remember was five of us waiting right outside the headmaster's office. I was sitting alone while the four of them were standing before the headmaster, and one thing was clear, he was upset. The headmaster was rebuking them, reprimanding them for what they'd been doing for a long time because it really wasn't a secret to everybody. Um, the boys never really touched me again after that incident, and um, Giuseppe kind of became my unofficial bodyguard. Um, and right when I was able to hopefully experience some peace and quiet, my family's uh, visa situation worked out, and we moved again, um, after having lived in England for about three years, to Parsippany, New Jersey. My parents loved me and my brother a lot. We loved God, and we prayed. We worshiped, we read scripture together. God was central, but despite um, the centrality of God in our family life, we didn't quite know how to share about these painful spots, experiences that we were experiencing. Um, I went through most of this alone. We didn't know how to talk about it. And I desperately sought and yearned for friends who would accept me for who I was, but at the same time, I was deathly afraid to take that risk, to get to know someone because of these experiences that had happened over and over again. In my first two years in Persephone, New Jersey, as a 70-pound seventh grader, growing up to become a bigger 93-pound ninth grader, was just as painful. My sense of self-worth mainly stayed in the safe area of academic success because books didn't punch back unless I dropped it on my own. Um, they were safer and they helped me feel better. One day as I was coming back from school, seventh grader weighing 70 pounds with probably 30 to 40 pounds of textbooks because that was what I valued at that point, I found myself in a kind of weird, precarious position. I was about 50 feet away from my apartment when I was on the floor. And this kid, who weighed literally twice my weight, was on top of me and pounding my head. I had never had a conversation with him. His name was Aaron. He was one of the thugs in the area. And he was just pounding me. I was trying to cover my face, protecting myself the best I could, try to get up, but being the turtle that I was because of the book bag, I couldn't get up either. And as I was looking up to what's happening, I saw a crowd of about 50 kids from the bus stop circling around, his two friends cheering him on, not a single person stepping in to do anything about what was going on. No one stepped, no one stopped him, no one stepped in. And I was, in that fraction of a second, just crying out, 
and just thinking to myself, what's wrong with this world? Why are people so evil? Thankfully, Aaron got tired. He stopped. He got up. The crowd disbanded. And crying, I went into my apartment where my mom was actually not working. She was a nurse. And she asked me what's going on. And I told her what happened and in tears. And she's examining my head, asking me if I was okay. And yes, I wasn't physically bleeding. But one thing for sure, as I walked into my room to be alone, my heart was a bleeding mess. And like any, <laughs> you know, seventh grader would feel they won't want to go to school the next day, but that was not an option. And I didn't want to take the bus, but our family situation, you know, prevented me from taking the car. So I went to the bus stop, and I didn't want to see those guys again. So I mustered, you know, figured out maybe I should go into the convenience store. They won't beat me up again inside the store. So I stayed as closest to the clerk, the cashier as possible, and hoping that they won't come into the store. But eventually, Aaron and his friends did come into the store, and I was trying not to make eye contact, just, but eventually they came around, and I saw Aaron, and he had a cast on his arm. He had broken his hand, because he had hit my hard head too many times. They never touched me after that day, but I kept my distance from people. And everything was happy and great. Not really. I took a risk to make a friend. And um, it was the first friend I made. His name is Danny. And we began playing lots, spending a lot of time together playing Nintendo. Some of you guys may be seasoned enough to know what the original Nintendo system is. There's one hand. Um, you guys are, some of you guys are lying. Um, and it's kind of weird because you know, as we were playing video games in my apartment one day after school, um, we were fighting over some stupid game, and he picks me up and he throws me on my couch. Now, I'm still 70 pounds, seventh grader. Everyone I know is like twice as big as I am. Danny was about a foot taller. Um, literally, he throws me on my couch and also begins to punch my head. And I'm telling him to stop. Danny, stop. What are you doing? And after what felt like eternity, you know, he cries, I cry, he storms out of the apartment. And, um, and no one else is home at that time, interestingly. And I didn't tell anyone about that. The next day, I didn't want to go to school either, but again, the same thing. He didn't come to the bus stop. His mom took him to school, and um, I saw him in the hallway walking. He didn't acknowledge me. He had broken two of his fingers, and if you get the moral of the story, you don't hit me, especially on my head. I waited for a day or a week. Month passed, six months passed, I really wanted us to make up and be friends again. It's one thing to get beaten up by some thug that you don't know, that you don't care about, but it's something else to get beaten up by your first best friend. For the first 10 years of my life in Korea, I was really well-liked, at least I like to think I was. I never got beaten up, that's for sure. People didn't make fun of me. 
things made sense. But in these three, four, now five years, I couldn't help but feel that there was something wrong with me. Like, like as if like, I'm defective, not likable. Kiss in England, kiss in US, just made me review myself and the world. And despite God's physical protection, I did feel utterly alone and unwanted. And it felt safer, like I said, to be with books. Books were interesting and fun, educating, made me feel better about myself, and they didn't hurt me. And to be honest, if I'm not careful, um, I can easily retreat away to books these days too. Maybe not like written books, now to audio books. When I think about Zacchaeus in today's familiar passage, those of us who grew up in church, I'm pretty sure you've heard this many, many times. I feel Zacchaeus. I feel for him, and I actually really connect with his sense of rejection and being ostracized, and I get why someone would not approach the crowd. Because when you feel unsafe, it can do that to you. Zacchaeus, we know, was a chief tax collector, and he was a rich tax collector. He was hated because he was deemed as a collaborator. He worked with the Roman government that the Israelites were under occupation. And not only that, he collected more than what he was supposed to, and thus became even richer than he would have gotten. Now, for the most part, Zacchaeus, um, he was hated and People didn't like him because of his choices, his choice of working for the Roman government, his choice and decision of collecting more than what he was supposed to placed him in that state of being really abhorred by everybody in town. People probably called him names. I've heard many names. For me, they were not my names. And before I start using Paul as my name, there were, you know, people really bastard my Korean name, and that became a lot of other kind of words. Maybe some of you guys might have experienced that. And perhaps people hurt him, if not physically, definitely emotionally, letting him know his place, that he's a sinner, that he's a reject, that he's not one of them, not wanted. And it is this Zacchaeus who heard that there's this guy named Jesus who was a friend of tax collectors like him and sinners to prostitutes. This this friend of sinners, wow, I wonder what he looks like. Man, is he for real? So he becomes this it. If you were to use the metaphor of hide and go seek, it's like, I gotta go see this Jesus. He's pursuing, pursuing the face of Jesus, and he approaches a crowd, and being a short man, he could not see. Most of my life, I experienced my life in this perspective. There are a lot of tall guys here. I don't know what it's like to experience life from your perspective, but I I feel him. But something kept him from going through the masses. It's like, no, I'm gonna keep my distance. 
Maybe he anticipated the way they would talk to him, talk at him, stare at him, poke him, punch him, who knows, or just pretend he doesn't even exist. Sometimes that's far more painful. And as great, any great it in, in the game of hide-and-go-seek, he thinks about where this Jesus would eventually end up, and he figures out, hey, he's going to be on this path, and he's going to get to that sycamore tree. I'm going to get there. And he runs, and we know the story. He runs and climbs. It's like Pastor Eugene wearing a nice suit, running and climbing a tree. What's the closest thing he can climb? I mean, we don't do that. Uh, Pastor Eugene, do you do that? No, see? Um, kids ran, adults didn't. Zacchaeus didn't care because he was determined. He had to. He had to know for himself. He was on this pursuit. When I was a freshman in high school, my family was attending this uh, Parsippany Baptist Church. And I don't know if any one of you guys have been to a Baptist church. It's a family worship. I was sitting with my parents, my brother, and um, every Sunday we had an altar call. Pastor Brown was his name. Um, He would end the service by saying, hey, if there's anyone here who's not sure where he would or she would go if you were to die today, come, leave here with certainty of your eternity. And for some reason, that particular Sunday, I've been attending with my family for a couple of years, something was different. I had heard that invitation like 100 times, literally. But on that day, I, I, I thought I heard, go. And I'm looking to my mom and my dad, it's like, are they talking to me? It's like, they have a slight accent, so it wouldn't, anyway, but, like, and I'm probably just imagining things, and I try to ignore it, and, and then I, I, I thought I heard the voice again, and it was this kind of irresistible tug. It's like, you know what? I don't know what would happen to me, and I really want to know. I need to know, and it was the first time in my life, being a pastor's kid growing up, that I did something out of my own volition about my spiritual journey. I stood up. I'm like, I gotta know. I stood up in front of some 400 people and I went up the aisle and tippy-toe to Pastor Brown and said, Pastor Brown, I'm not sure and I like to be sure. So he invited one of the deacons, like the deacons that we would have here and one of the deacons led me to the back study and went through the four spiritual laws with me for the first time. All this time, I thought I, I was just the one pursuing God. It's like, God, are you, are you there? But here is God who's been looking at me, pursuing me, calling me. My main motivation, actually, however, though, was pretty simple. I was just definitely afraid of going to hell. I'm just being honest. <clears throat> to that eternal fire and torment. Didn't want it. But this Jesus, as I began to spend time with him and his word, came to realize that he didn't just want it to be my savior who would save me from sin and the consequences of sin and death and eternal separation, but he wanted to be and demanded to be my master, my king, 
who wanted to reign in all areas of my life, and that he wanted to be, yes, my friend. Be with me. Want me. I just was hoping for a get-out-of-the-hell ticket, and all this time, God wanted far more. He wanted me. And that's what God wants from you. He wants you. He wants to be your savior. He wants to be your Lord. He wants to be your friend. I still wrestle though because I love and I depend on Jesus as my savior. And I really enjoy Jesus as my friend because all my life I've been searching, waiting, looking for that. But I wrestle to follow Jesus as my master, my king, because I like things my way. You know, Zacchaeus went after Jesus. He took the initiative. He, he went out without reservation. And if he hadn't done what he had done, if he didn't run over and climb that tree, it is most likely that he probably wouldn't have seen the face of Jesus. He probably wouldn't have seen, heard Jesus call him by his name, that invitation to come down, hearing Jesus saying, hey, Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house. I want to be your friend. All this time, Zacchaeus thought he was it. He was the one going out of his way, doing foolish things, calculating his steps and considering where Jesus might arrive. But you know, when we hear Jesus' words, Zacchaeus come down immediately because I must stay at your house today. That word must is a special word in the Gospel of Luke. It's what theologians would call a divine imperative. It pretty much literally means the same thing as it is necessary or God ordained it to be. God has been pursuing Zacchaeus all along. You see, it wasn't a mere coincidence that Jesus was, like, by chance, walking through the town of Jericho that day. No, it was divinely planned because God was pursuing. And it wasn't an accident or a coincidence that Jesus was walking by the path, passing that sycamore tree. God, God in the person of Jesus Christ had been divinely planning all along and pursuing Zacchaeus all along. And it wasn't an accident that over 2,000 years ago, God sends his only son into our human history to live the life he lived, to die the death he died, and to overcome sin and death through that empty tomb. It was God all along. It was God's divine plan of salvation, pursuing humanity with everything that he had. Yes, we do need to pursue God with everything we have, without reservation, but the truth of the gospel is God pursues you. He has always been pursuing you and is still pursuing you. Question is, how are we pursuing God? 
And how might we be experiencing this amazing radical pursuit of God in our lives? I realized that my desire for God was too small. My expectations were too small. Just as Zacchaeus expected too little from Jesus, all he wanted probably was to see Jesus and maybe get his autograph, probably not. But Jesus had far more planned. He wanted Zacchaeus. And perhaps our expectations of God are a little too small too. I had the privilege, I'm a big fan of, I don't know if you guys know a guy named Dave Ramsey, but I had an opportunity to meet him um, last year, and um, he's a Christian financial teacher, writer, talk show host, blah, blah, blah. A um, bunch of us who are big fans of his, we lined up, and we had a copy of his book, and we wanted to get him to sign it and take a picture, and I got that. And that was really all that I expected. And I waited with like all these other people, waiting, he was busy doing the show, and he came out in between break time, we're waiting, you know, he didn't have enough time, so I had to wait more, people who had to take a flight, it's like, oh, he's not coming out, I'm like, sorry, so I step up and keep waiting, and he comes out, and he's like, I'm introducing myself, hi, my name is Paul, I'm from New Jersey, I'm a big fan of yours, show, whip out that book, and by the way, everyone is told, get your book ready, get your pen ready, and get your camera ready, okay, we're gonna do this in boom, 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 and, uh, you know, I got a sign, I got a picture, and that's it, and I'm sure, like, even five seconds after, he, he probably doesn't remember my name, because he, people do that for him all the time. The extent of the expectation is getting that autograph and a picture. Boom, boom, that's it. And probably that's what Zacchaeus had, his expectations. And, and maybe might our expectations of Jesus, if we're not careful, maybe look similar. What are we hoping from Jesus, with Jesus? Jesus just can't be my savior. If Jesus is my savior, he is my friend. And if Jesus is my savior and friend, he demands to be my master and king. He wants to reign in all of my life and yours. When we come to Zacchaeus' story here, We, um, in previous chapter, uh, we learned that um, Jesus teaching the disciples about how it is pretty much impossible for the rich man to uh, be saved. But what is impossible with people, it is possible with God. And right before uh, chapter 19, we hear another extreme, a poor person, a a, a blind beggar, a very poor man who who, who also experiences salvation. God pursues all people, rich and poor. And what is impossible with man, it is possible with God. And we see the transformation of Zacchaeus when he experienced that radical grace. The law required restitution for maybe 20% in addition to the original amount at least voluntary restitution. Compulsory restitution um, ranged anywhere from twice as much to four to five times. Zacchaeus says, you know, if I wronged anyone four times and half of what I possess, 
I'll give. There's a radical shift and change. Faith and salvation, it is personal, but it's never private. It lives out in my personal life, in my family life, in my corporate life, and with my bank account. It changes the way we live out our lives. Bishop of Alexandria, Clement, um, Clement writes of Zacchaeus um, during one of his seventh, second century homilies, like a sermon, and tells us that Zacchaeus really ended well. He uh, continued to faithfully grow and um, mature. He served Christ and eventually became bishop of um, Caesarea. Um, and amazing testimony of a man who's been transformed by God. You know, this, this Wednesday, as Pastor Eugene has been announcing, we, we're going to have um, uh, the Ash Wednesday service, Lent season starting up. What if as people of God, we begin to think about our pursuit of God with more intentionality? Experiencing God's pursuit of us happens as we pursue God. Remember, Zacchaeus experienced that because he pursued God, but ultimately realized God was the one pursuing all along, but requires that both. And what if our expectation of God is a little too small? How might God be prompting your heart and mine during this season of Lent. You know, Lent season comes out every year, so we may think, oh, here we go again. No. What if God is challenging us to expect more? Expect more to experience more of his pursuit for us as we pursue God ever greater. And I want to end with two practical suggestions. One, um, I believe on Wednesday you're going to have the opportunity to come worship, start the season of Lent with that card where you're going to think about what you're going to fast from and what you're going to feast on. I think this is such an awesome opportunity to pursue God with that, without reservation. And we don't necessarily fast from things that are bad. If they're bad, you shouldn't do it anyway. <laughs> we fast from good things to pursue the greatest thing, which is God himself. And how are we going to pursue God as we read his word or read through a great book, classical spiritual book, to pursue God? And as we pursue God, I am so confident that we will experience in a deep, authentic way his pursuit of us. And finally, just really basic. You know, Zacchaeus waited for Christ to come. He went ahead and he waited for Jesus to come to that spot. What if as God's people, not just during the season of Lent, if we come with greater expectation and come and wait early, Come to worship early and wait with that expectation and anticipation. Expect more. Pursue him with greater intensity. Preparing ourselves 
positioning, posturing ourselves, both in our time with margin so that when we begin to officially worship together and gather together, we will be fully present with that greater pursuit of him and begin to taste more of God's extravagant pursuit of us. I'm excited for CGS as we continue to look to Jesus. May we continue to encourage one another as we look to him, our savior, our friend, and our king. Let's pray.